0: Section number ten of *The Empire of Business* by Andrew Carnegie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Joanne Turner. *The Empire of Business*, Section Ten: Railroads, Past and Present. It is a matter of great satisfaction and some pride to me that I began in the railroad service as telegraph operator and rose to the position of superintendent of the Pittsburgh division of the Pennsylvania Railroad. Perhaps it would be interesting to contrast in a few particulars the condition of affairs in the railroad world then and now. We are always urged to look well ahead in railroading. It is one of the chief rules, but it is also well to cast a look back and see the progress that has been made. When I had the honor to become a railroad man, the Pennsylvania Railroad was not yet finished to Pittsburgh. By means of some miles of staging between two points and a climb over the mountains by means of ten inclined planes, the passenger was enabled to reach Philadelphia by rail. The rails on the mountains were iron, 14 feet lengths, imported from England, lying on huge, hewn blocks of stone, although the line passed through woods and ties would have cost little. The company had no telegraph line and was dependent upon the use of the Western Union wire. Mr. Scott, the superintendent, the celebrated Thomas A. Scott, who was afterward president, often came to the telegraph office in Pittsburgh to talk to his superior in Altoona, the general superintendent. I was then a young operator and made his acquaintance by doing this telegraphing for him. I was receiving the enormous salary of $25 per month then, and he offered me 35 to become his secretary and telegrapher, which meant fortune. Let me congratulate you upon the great advance in your own wages and salaries since then. Mr. Scott received $125 a month, $1,500 a year, and my wonder was what a man could do with that amount of money. I hadn't thought then of one use. He might succeed by giving part of it away. What are the advantages a man receives from wealth is often discussed, that the best of wealth is not what it does for the owner, but what it enables him to do for others. I served for some time before I received an advance of salary of $10 per month. That gave me an enormous revenue, compared with the $1.20 a week at which I started in the cotton factory it is one of the most cheering facts of our day that under present conditions the wages of labor tend to rise and the prices of the necessaries of life tend to fall there never was a nation so splendidly situated as ours is at this moment in regard to labor every sober capable and willing man finds employment at wages which with thrift and a good wife to manage will enable him to go far toward laying up a competence for old age. Those so fortunate as to be married know how much depends upon a wife who can manage your household affairs, and those who are not yet married will find that out. There is nothing that the success and happiness of a working man so much depends upon, next to his own good conduct, as a good managing wife. And here let one who has, almost without intention or desire, had himself loaded with somewhat more than a competence, tell soberly that what one has beyond this brings little with it, and sometimes nothing desirable with it. What all should strive for is a competence, without which Junius has wisely said no man could be happy. No man should be happy without it, if it be within reach, and I urge everyone to save part of his earnings these prosperous days and put in savings bank at interest, or better still, buy a home with it, but to revert to railroading. President Thompson one day amazed the community of Pittsburgh by stating that on some future day the Pennsylvania Railroad would transport 100 cars a day over it. Cars then carried eight tons net. We had small locomotives, and the roadbed was something to frighten one. It was laid with light rails, and cast iron joints were used. I have known forty seven broken joints found one morning in winter on my division, and it was over such a line that we ran our trains. It is no wonder that breakdowns were frequent we had no cabooses on freight trains. Trainmen had to be out in all weathers. It was single track and, not having a telegraph line, in case of delays, trains ran curves. That is, a flagman went ahead and the train followed and met when they could, and sometimes met with considerable force, on the sharp curves. There is nothing apparently takes so long to learn by the average railroad man as this proposition, that two trains cannot pass each other successfully on a single track. We never did quite learn that lesson, even on the Pittsburgh division. Being a telegrapher, I took charge of our own railroad telegraph wire when it was constructed and I believe that I placed the first young woman telegraph student at work on a railroad, so I see it stated. In those days, the superintendent had to do everything. There was no division of responsibilities. It was supposed that no subordinate could be trusted to run trains by telegraph or attend to a wreck, and Mr. Scott and I, his successor, were two of the most foolish men I have ever known in this respect. We went out to every wreck, worked all night. Often I was not at home for a week at a time, scarcely ever sleeping except a few snatches lying down in a freight car. I now look back and see what poor superintendents we were. But I had a great example in Mr. Scott. It took me some time to learn, but I did learn, that the supremely great managers such as you have these days never do any work themselves worth speaking about their point is to make others work while they think i applied this lesson in after life so that business with me has never been a care my young partners did the work and i did the laughing and i commend to all the thought that there is very little success where there is little laughter The workman who rejoices in his work and laughs away its discomforts is the man sure to rise, for it is what we do easily, and what we like to do, that we do well. When you see a president or superintendent or a treasurer loaded down with his duties, oppressed with care, with a countenance as serious as a judge uttering a death sentence, be sure that he has more responsibility than he is fit for and should get relief. Compare the speed of trains, for instance. On the Great Pennsylvania Railroad, we thought that we had reached perfection when a passenger train was put on which ran between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia in 13 hours, about 27 miles an hour. It was christened the Lightning Express. That was not because we thought the lightning was so slow, but because we thought the train was so terrifically fast. Today, the Empire State Express is run at double this speed, which holds the world's record. But do not let us make the mistake again of thinking that we have reached perfection. The next generation will run trains at a 100 miles an hour, double the present speed just as trains are run at double the speed of thirty years ago. The line will be straight. In the language of Scripture, quote, the crooked places, unquote, that is, the curves, quote, shall be made straight, unquote. In the improvements made today on the various lines, I don't think many managers look far enough ahead. They are spending on some parts perhaps half a million dollars, where they ought to spend double, and easing the curves which they should abolish, and some future president is to say that they wasted a good deal of money. Nothing but a straight line will be up to date in 1950 or before that. But there is another department in which progress has been great and even of greater importance than in that which has been referred to. It is in the care of railroad employees, their position, their advantages, their earnings, and in the pension system which the leading railroads of this country feel themselves obligated to establish, that those who labor year after year at stated salaries and have no prospect of making great gains should at least have this consolation in view that in their old age they will be able to live in comfortable independence, not as a matter of charity, but by virtue of their own exertions, and what they are entitled to as a bonus for faithful service rendered. I know of nothing which lifts and improves the service of a great line, and adds so much to its safety, as a staff which can rest in the knowledge that after they have grown old in the service, their old age is made comfortable through the system of pensions. Before long, no line will rank as in the front rank which has not this invaluable, I might almost say necessary, element in securing a staff of trustworthy, intelligent, and loyal men filled with esprit de corps for the company they serve. In the buildings now being provided at transfer stations, in the reading rooms and libraries, and in some cases, especially on the Santa Fe route, I learned billiard tables and other means of harmless and needful entertainment are provided. Last but not least, In such buildings and societies which draw men together for their good in all these improvements and in many other ways, we have evidence that employers are recognizing their duties to the employed more clearly than in the past. The railroad man is to be congratulated also upon this fact, that wherever improving agencies have been established, the men have endeavored to show their appreciation by using them to the fullest extent. Railway companies can make no better use of money than in establishing additional institutions of this kind and enlarging those which already exist and are crowded. It will be that company which does most for its men in the direction indicated which will do best for its shareholders, and on the other hand It will be upon that line the working man will feel most at home, and in which they will take the greatest pride, and for which they will be most willing to incur the exhausting labor and danger incident to the railroad man's calling, thus giving another proof that their interest and the interest of those whose capital is invested are not antagonistic, but mutual. It is a great delusion to say that labor and capital are foes. They must be allies, or neither succeeds. I have before used the simile of likening capital, business, ability, and labor to the legs of a three-legged stool. The stool will not stand up without the support of all these three legs, and to dispute as to which of these three is most important is useless. It can never be determined, and if determined, it would be of little consequence, since the great fact remains that they are all absolutely necessary for such success as we see on the great transportation lines of our country. The men of the railroad world are to be congratulated on occupying the proud position, as I believe, of the most temperate body of employees in the world. They are an example to the working man in other branches of the outspreading tree of labor, and their influence cannot fail to prove of incalculable benefit. No rule that a man can adopt will bring greater reward than this, to abstain from the use of alcohol as a beverage. A drinking man has no place in the railway system. Indeed, he should have no place anywhere. The satisfactory relations which exist upon the whole between the railroads and their men should be gratifying to them both. It is always sure to be created and to exist where the officers are intelligent and sympathetic and feel themselves part of the one organization which manages the line, comprising all employees, from the track laborer to the locomotive engineer and up through all grades to the president himself, every one, a NYC, or a PRR, or a and q or a and w man. There is no room for antagonism upon a railroad between employer and employee, for the president and superintendent do not own the property any more than the employees do. Therefore, all are... As just said, members of the same corps. All are equally the servants of the company. The official, therefore, recognizes in the trainman, the roadman, or the engineer employees like himself, to whom he must naturally feel the glow of comradeship, while they cannot but regard the officials as their fellow members, and feel that in all matters of compensation or discipline, What their fellow members in office prescribe has not, for its end, their own self-aggrandizement, but the successful operation of the line. There is another feature of cheering import. The road to promotion is clear and direct. All can certify to that, for, I doubt not, many of those now in authority began in subordinate positions, and have won their way by merit not by favor every man in the railway industrial army as napoleon said of his army carries a marshal's baton in his knapsack upon railroaders there rest grave responsibilities they have in their keeping the lives of the public i need not say the traveling public for with us all travel strict sobriety unceasing vigilance, staunch courage, faithfulness to duty, are demanded of them, and that these are characteristic of the force is testified at recurring intervals, and by the position they have reached and occupy in the estimation of their grateful fellow-citizens. End of section 10